Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody today. Hope everybody's having a good day so far. I noticed uh, as we're looking forward uh, over the next couple days, well, the one report that I got said expect 100 degrees for the temperature on Tuesday. And uh, now I notice that they dialed that back some, and uh, I hope it keeps getting dialed back because I really don't want 100 degrees on Tuesday, but maybe some of you don't mind that. I don't know. I mind it. I, I, I don't want it that hot. You know, it's yesterday, that was kind of a perfect temperature. We actually had a youth group trip yesterday, and so um, I recognize uh, this is, there are two things that I have to caution myself from talking too much about. So I used to make a lot of Chick-fil-A references, and I stopped doing that because I think people thought that that was an example of gluttony on my part. So I just I stopped making those references, but as the summer season comes up, I obviously make a lot of references to Knobles because if you have like, do you have like a, a place that you kind of go to in your mind when you're stressed out? That's the place I go to in my mind when I'm stressed out or when I'm in the midst of uh, the winter and it's like the worst part of the winter and you just want to be able to get outside and do things. That's where I go. And so yesterday, well, a week ago, we had the chance to sneak our family up there for a day. And yesterday, the youth group planned a trip uh, to Knoebel. So within eight days, we had the chance to be there twice. So that's pretty rare. And yesterday, I had the opportunity to meet the owner. So I tried to get adopted into their family. I think they're working on it. I was hoping for a decision before we left the park last night. I didn't hear anything. So I'm just assuming paperwork, you know, that stuff takes a while. Uh, but anyway, we had a wonderful trip yesterday with the youth group. If you notice the teens, if any of them seem like they're um, dragging a little bit, that's because they are exhausted and uh, basically just running on fumes. But it was a fun day, and the Lord gave us good weather, and so we were grateful for that as well. So today is Father's Day. Dad's Happy Father's Day. Uh, we appreciate you. We're grateful for you. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of who is God. And today specifically, uh, so, well, let me even back up a tiny bit. A few weeks ago, we were also talking about, as we began this discussion, we were talking about God's triune nature, the fact that He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today specifically, we're going to be talking about God the Father. We're going to be looking at a variety of scriptures today, but the first scripture I want us to start with is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to 1 Corinthians 8, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 of 1 Corinthians 8, and like I said, we're going to be jumping around to a variety of scriptures today that show us various aspects of who the Lord is, various aspects of what the Lord does. But we're starting off in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to pick up at verse 4, and I'm going to read down to verse 6, and this is what it says in that passage. It says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to come together this morning to worship you, to 
just express our gratefulness to you for your goodness toward us. Lord, we recognize that each day and each week has its challenges, but we're grateful that this is a time that you've given us the privilege to carve out. And we carve out this time to worship you and to listen to your voice and to spend time in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, learning from one another, growing together, uh, rejoicing in who you are. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture today and some of the sister portions of Scripture that go with it, we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our minds and that you'd speak to our hearts and that you'd help us to be ultimately men and women who glorify your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Father's Day, and uh, I thought, obviously, it's not an accident that we're talking about God the Father today on Father's Day. And I'll tell you this, and, and some of you can identify with this concept already, but becoming a father is one of the most transformative events in a man's life. You watch your life being transformed from being able to focus on the things that you need to do or the things that you want to do to transitioning to primarily, at least for a season, being focused on the needs of other people, primarily when your children are young and, and they're growing and you're trying to launch them into a life of, uh, of their own responsibilities. And so, you know, with every decision you make, you find yourself weighing the kind of impact it's going to have on your kids. I remember when our family moved down here 10 years ago, uh, in the midst of all the different things that we had to decide, one of the things that we were wrestling with is, okay, like, like how does this impact the kids as far as their day-to-day -day life? How does this impact their schooling? And we need to find a house that has room for these kids. You know, like everything we did practically in making that transition focused on the kids, or, or most of the major decisions anyway. And as a dad, you find yourself doing a variety of things that the Lord's called you to do. You protect, you provide, you mediate disputes always, right? I mean, isn't that like, that's like, you get good at that over time. Or you tell yourself you're good at it, even if you're terrible at it, but you have to do it one way or another. Mediate disputes, you offer correction, you offer counsel daily. Uh, again, you, you try to gradually prepare your children to navigate life without your help. And you pray often in desperation for the Lord's intervention in the lives of your children. There are times that you pray desperate pr prayers because you know you've done everything you can think to do. And in the end, you start to realize, okay, unless the Lord really wrestles with the mind and the heart, uh, the hearts of my children, um, there's only so much you can do. You can't do His job. You can represent Him, but you can't do His job. And in the end, uh, we need to entrust our kids over to Him. I think many latent issues get triggered in your mind when the Lord gives you children. The first time I purchased life insurance uh, was when I had kids. I didn't have life insurance prior to that, or I never bought it. I actually had a, a policy, a small policy that was included with something else. But first time I bought life insurance was when we had kids. And I thought, all right, if something unforeseen happens in me, I want to, or to me, I want to make sure that they're cared for even if I pass away. And every day from the moment your kids are born, you begin making sacrifices, some that are small and some that are large, together with your wife for their long-term benefit. And I've often said 
you know, over the past 18 years that the Lord's uh, allowed me to be a dad. But I've often said that becoming a father has given me brand new insight into God's loving and sacrificial heart toward His children. Uh, I understand His love a little bit better than I used to because of some of the things that He's allowed me to experience. So I feel like I can identify with His willingness to sacrifice for our benefit a little more clearly than I once did. And I've even come to appreciate the Lord's willingness to discipline us. Because you realize when you're offering discipline uh, to your children, you're not doing it because you hate them. You're doing it because you love them and you want to steer them in the right direction. And when you look at the Scriptures, all throughout the Scriptures, many things are revealed to us about God the Father. And as we think about His role as Father today, as we think about the things that the Scripture has revealed, we're going to be looking at a variety of things. We're going to be looking at His role. We're going to be looking at His work. We're going to be looking at his relationship to us, and then in, in, uh, in connection with that, we're also going to reflect on how we can mirror his heart as we interact with one another. So a couple of things I want to look at this morning. First is, again, the Father's role in the Trinity. So we were talking about the Trinity a few weeks ago. We'll continue talking about the Trinity in coming weeks. But again, Scripture reveals to us that there is only one God. And he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A self-existent triunity that we often refer to as the Trinity. Uh, all three persons of the Trinity are equal in nature, and they live in perfect unity and perfect relationship with one another. But Scripture makes it very clear to us when we look throughout the Scriptures that there are distinct roles among the members of the Trinity. And there's also an order of subordination among the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When you look at what the Scripture tells us, it reveals to us that members of the Trinity voluntarily submit to one another. So the Holy Spirit submits to both the Father and the Son. And the Son willingly submits to the Father. And this voluntary submission shows us a few things about God. It shows us that our God is a God of order while also being the perfection of humility. And I also think it's interesting that when you look throughout Scripture, there are multiple examples that we're given of also practicing that idea of submission. The church is told to submit to one another. So I'm to submit to you, you're to, sub to submit to me, we're to submit to one another. Just It's this idea of putting one another first above ourselves. It also tells us in the context of marriage, it talks about this idea of wives submitting to husbands. And a lot of times uh, I'll notice people cringe at that concept. They think, you know, like why, like th that seems like such a, a, a scary thought. And then we realize that this is a pattern that the Lord has actually exemplified even before we were created among himself. This idea of submission. This idea of elevating someone else above yourself. It's a pattern he instituted among believers because it's something that's true of him. And so when the Lord says to me that I'm to submit to my brothers and sisters in Christ, he's not asking me to do something that he himself doesn't do. The Lord practices this and he encourages us to practice this as well. Now when you look at the Trinity and you look at what the Scriptures revealed to us about the Trinity, where it's revealed to us there that God the Father operates as the head. 
And as the head, he sent God the Son into the world to accomplish our salvation. We're all probably familiar with John 3.16, but let me show you the next verse, John 3.17. In John 3.17, it tells us this. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Scripture tells us that God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. The Lord was seeking to accomplish our salvation. And then when the Son returned to heaven, the Father and the Son, so when you look at John 14 and John 15, it reveals to us that the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to seal us, meaning you know we're marked as, as belonging to God forever. Uh, the Holy Spirit's also been sent to teach us. Let me show you something from John 14, verses 25 and 26. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So again, we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit at work in in our lives as we continue to, to follow Christ, as we continue to be those that have been marked as his possession, marked as his family. But the Father's role in the Trinity, he operates as the head. Now, when you continue to look through Scripture, and when you look at the Scripture we just started with today, there's a work that the Father is accomplishing that's addressed there. At least part of his work is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we read this a few minutes ago, but I want to reread this. It says this, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So when you look at that portion of Scripture, it tells us a little bit about the work that the Father is accomplishing. Specifically there, it's referencing the idea of uh, the fact that He's Creator, and we'll get into that in just a second. But one of the earliest concepts I remember noticing about my own dad when I was a a, a young child was that he worked. Every day he'd go to work in Stongi's Market, our family grocery business uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And every evening he would come home tired uh, and he would sit down on his recliner. And I I was joking with him a little bit about this the other day. I said, Dad, do you remember... Uh, I, I said, well, this is what I remember about my, my early childhood as you would come home from work. So he'd come home from work, be really tired, he'd sit down on his recliner, and he went through a phase, and I think he'd still do this now if he wasn't trying to be a little bit more careful about his weight, but uh, he would sit down and he would have a can of Spanish peanuts. You know what like, Spanish peanuts are? Can you picture those? They have the light uh, skin on them, you know, it's just like this light skin. So as my dad would snack on those, he would wear them a little bit too. So like on his shirt and like on the, the floor next to that, there'd just be like a little, like that skin that would come off the peanuts. And they were tasty. And so I'd picture him, he'd come home, he'd sit down, he'd eat Spanish peanuts, and he'd have a glass of iced tea, and he'd just try and kind of calm down from the day. And it would usually start with my sisters and I realizing, hey, dad's home. And so I'd go down on the landing where he'd take his shoes off and I'd clomp around in his shoes. And then once I got sick of doing that, I'd go up the steps in front of his recliner and either climb on him or want to box with him. 
Now, could you imagine, like, at the end of the day, you know, you just come home after working all day, and now you've got a five-year-old in front of you uh, that just wants to, to fight. It's like, great, I've been waiting for you to come home all day so that we can fight. And my dad would sit in the recliner, and we would box, and he'd put his hands up, and I'd try and hit his hands, and then he'd allow me to get, like, a few body shots in there, and he'd get a few shots, and, uh, but there was a rule, you weren't allowed to hit faces. You're never allowed to hit faces. So it would always end when I would try and sneak a punch in toward his face, and he'd be like, that's it, we're done. And uh, I always thought that I was like trying to get one over on him when I'd pretend it was an accident that I swung that. I'd be like, I don't know what happened. I was just aiming for your arm, and I, I guess I just missed and hit your face. And he's like, yeah, sure, it was an accident. We're done now. We're done. Sit down. Uh, but I remember um, when I was five years old, when my dad told me, he said, all right, I'm going to let you come to work with me. Because I'd been asking him forever, can I go to work with you? Can I work in the store with you and grandpa? And he's like, when you're older, when you're older. And so when I was five, I I think that's what working papers say, right? You have to be at least five, right? You have to at least start kindergarten before you could go to work. And uh, at least in Scranton, Pennsylvania, that was the rule. Um, And so I, I remember my first day being allowed to work at my dad's store. And uh, I was given an apron, just like the guys in the meat counter, and they had to fold it up, you know, like 14 times so it wasn't dragging on the ground and tie it around 14 times so I could actually wear it. But I thought it was neat because I got to work just like my dad and just like my grandfather, doing the things that I saw him do. And when you look at what Scripture tells us about God the Father, one of the things that we're told in multiple instances in Scripture is that God the Father has a work that he's accomplishing. There's a work that he's doing and a work that he has accomplished. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 that we read just a moment ago tells us that the Lord, that God the Father is creator of all things. He's creator of all things. That creation finds its source in him. So when you look around, you know, we, we recognize like, I mean, he created things, he made things. This is what the Lord has done. And then in addition to creating the universe, the Lord has an ongoing work that he continues to do. And one of the aspects of the Lord's ongoing work that he's been uh, accomplishing is this idea of giving revelation to humanity, where he continually reveals himself to us. So as you think of this, like, you know, here we are many generations now after the scriptures were written down, and the Lord continues to reveal himself to us through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is still at work bringing these things to our mind, helping us to understand these things. But when you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, so as the book of Revelation, the book that we call Revelation, right, as it starts up, what does it say? It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And it tells us that the Lord is a revealer of truth, that he makes his truth known, that he's revealing himself to us. That's part of his ongoing work. We also know that the Lord, that God the Father, has orchestrated his plan of salvation. You know, as he's looking at humanity, in his loving and compassionate heart, right? And you could think of this, you know, in in regard to the compassion that you have felt toward other people. But in his compassionate heart, he couldn't stand to look at humanity lost forever. You know, do you ever have, um, 
So when I went through, all right, so I did my master's in counseling. And you know what one of the things that they try and work through if you're a guy going through a counseling program? When you're a guy going through a counseling program and somebody presents an issue, your first instinct is immediately to try and fix it. They're like, well, before you try and fix it, sit with them in it for a few minutes. Before you just jump right into trying, you know, just listen, right? And I think it's interesting that when you, it's like, where does this instinct, where does this desire to try and help somebody by fixing whatever the issue may be come from? Well, when you think about it, what did the Lord, you know, what has God the Father done when he's looked at us in our lost condition? It's like, I got to fix that. They messed that up. I got to fix that. I remember when I was a kid, I, I had Matchbox cars and Hot Wheels cars, and I thought I could do a better job painting some of them than the manufacturer did. So I decided it bugged me that the bottom of the car wasn't painted. So I took paint that I thought was a similar color to the paint on the top of the car, and I painted the bottom of the car. And then when it dried, I looked at it, I was like, I hate it. I've wrecked this car, and this was my favorite car. And I wanted it to look better, and now it looks worse. And I remember taking the car to my dad, and I was like, Dad... I wrecked this thing, and I was all upset. He's like, relax, relax. And I don't know what he took, but he took something, and he got all the paint off, and then he handed it back to me, and it looked like it, it looked before I wrecked it. And I was like, oh, you fixed it. Thanks. <laughs> and I was so happy. It was this maroon sedan, you know? It's like the old, like you'd think it'd be like some like fancy car, right? It was like a maroon sedan. It was like a grand marquee or something like that. And I was like, I just love this car. You know, I don't know why I like that one so much. It's like my inner old guy, right? Um, but my, he fixed it. And I, you know, I, when you look at the scriptures, what does the Lord do? He looks at us in our lost condition and he says, I am not content to leave you in this mess that you made, right? We made this mess. He didn't make this mess. We made this mess. And he looked at us and he said, I'm going to fix that. And he orchestrated the plan of salvation. He orchestrated our second chance. He orchestrated the opportunity for us to not live as his enemies, but to live as his family for all eternity. Consider what it says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Plan this all out. He worked this all out. He predestined it to be so. You were on his mind. He intended to adopt you into his family. These are the things that Scripture tells us about the work of God. Consider a few other things. I don't have slides for these things, but let me give you a summary of some of the other things that Scripture tells us about the work of God the Father. Scripture reveals to us in the book of Psalms that he's the father to the fatherless and the protector of the widows. Speaking of that as an ongoing work of God the Father, the father to the fatherless and protector of widows. That's from Psalm 68. In uh, the epistle that was written by James, we're told that God the Father is the giver of every perfect gift. It's in James chapter 1. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, it also reveals that God is at work as the giver of mercy and comfort to his children. That he delights to give mercy and comfort to his children. All that to say, we have a heavenly father 
who is lovingly and actively at work in our lives. He delights to foster maturity within his children, and we can be confident, particularly as we look at what Scripture tells us about him, that his watchful eye is always on us. There isn't a day where the Lord somehow forgets about us. There isn't a day where you go off in this direction and his eye is not lovingly and actively watching you. He watches us. He adopts us into his own family through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. This is an active work that God the Father is up to. Now, there's something else that Scripture reveals to us about God the Father that's fascinating when you consider it from its historical context. But let me show you what it is, and then let's talk about it. But Scripture tells us that through Christ, you can call the Father Abba. Let me explain what that means. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Let me see if I got it up there. Good. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So you see this correlates with what we just read from Ephesians 1. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. I came across a letter uh, that my wife put together at Thanksgiving um, a bunch of years ago. So this would probably be, if I had to guess, it would probably be maybe 11 or 12 years ago. It's probably 12 years ago that she put this together. I was scanning a bunch of pictures, and I found it. And she had all the kids trace their hands, and uh, just, you know, she had like a little bit of a write-up about what was going on in the kids' lives. And I don't know if you could see this little dot right here, but that's baby Julia. She wasn't more than just a few months old at that time. So that little dot, so let me just get a little closer so I could read it, but um, Andrea said, as she sent this out to family, she said, Julia will be one on December 14th. She's the sweetest little thing. She's surprisingly communicative. She says, Dada, and has for a few months since he's her favorite. And we still have a little bit of conflict at home because Julia very much is a daddy's girl. And I'm not opposed to that. I don't mind it at all. Um, I hope it stays that way. But I thought that that was cute that to find that just the other day when I was scanning a bunch of photos. I've really been going through a ton of photos lately. Uh, but I found that, that write-up, and I read that, and it reminded me of how much I enjoyed it when I would hear her say that. Because she knew hardly any words. But, the, you know, but early on, she kept saying that. And she would light up when I'd come into a room and just keep saying it over and over again, Dada, Dada. And it's one thing to hear it, because that's, for many kids, that's like the, the universal first word. It's not like she did something unique. This child says Dada, right? You know, it's not, it's not like that's such an amazing thing. But I got to tell you, even though you know that, like, for many kids, that's like the easiest thing for them to say, when you know that that child is lighting up and saying it about you, it feels wonderful. You're thrilled. You want, it's like, just keep saying it. Keep, wait till mom gets in the room. Now say it. Keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. And she'd just roll her eyes and look at me. She's like, yeah, I, I showed her kindness all day. Isn't it like mom's getting ripped off so bad with this stuff, don't they? Can I tell you, I didn't plan to say this. One time Andrea asked me to make lunch for the kids. One time. She makes lunch for them like 36 times a week. They eat that many lunches, right? And uh, one time she asked me to make lunch. And I was like, all right, what do you guys want? And they're like, I don't know, dad, what's good? I was like, I'm going to make you a sandwich the way I make sandwiches. And so I put peanut butter on bread, and I took some pretzels, 
and I crushed it up on it so it had some crunch and I put it there and I cut it up and the kids sat down and ate it and they were like, this is the best sandwich I've ever had. And, uh, and, they lo- and my wife comes home and she's like, hey guys, how'd it go? And they're like, mom, dad made us the best sandwich ever. And she's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, well, what did he do? And he puts pretzels on a sandwich and then gave it to us. It's two things in one. And she looks at me and she's like, I make so many meals for these kids. Every day, you crush pretzels on a sandwich and give it to them and somehow like the, the heavens have opened. I was like, I don't know how it works, but I'm having a fun time with this. But you know, to hear a child say that to you, you, you feel something about that, right? I mean, when that's your child saying that, it feels different. And when you look at what it said in Romans chapter, so let me bring that back up, Romans 8.15. The Apostle Paul makes use of the word Abba in that portion of Scripture in relation to God the Father. Abba was an Aramaic word that, that children would often use when they were speaking about their fathers. Uh, in English, the word Abba if you want to just translate it the way it was used in the context that Paul's using it, you would simply just, you would translate it just as the word daddy. You know, you just use the word daddy and that would be accurate. That's what he's saying. It's like saying daddy. It's like going to the father and calling him daddy. So what does it signify? It signifies a close, loving, affectionate relationship between a child and that child's father. It's like daddy, Abba, father. And isn't it amazing to consider that through faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ, we're granted that kind of loving relationship with God the Father. That that's what Scripture tells us about the way every one of us in this room have the privilege to relate to our Creator. That God the Father delights for us to come before Him and call Him Daddy. For us to come before Him and affectionately call Him Abba. When we're in Christ, meaning, you know, when you trust in Jesus Christ, the Father sees the Son living within you. And He then declares you righteous in His sight. And from that point on, He sees you as holy. He sees you as blameless. He sees you as cleansed from sin. Through Christ, Scripture tells us that we are no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves uh, to sin. We're no longer slaves to Satan. We're no longer slaves to death because we've been adopted as sons. We're adopted as sons. It's interesting when the Scripture uses the word sons there. It's the idea that whether you're male or female, you have inheritance rights in the kingdom of God just like a son would in ancient culture. That Scripture was saying, you know, whether you're a man or you're a woman, you have inheritance rights in the family of God just like a son would in ancient Israel. And the Lord looks at you and adopts you with the highest kind of privileges that could be given to you. And He delights to do that. The Father has made us His children. And we can openly call Him and consider Him our true Daddy, Abba, Father. And because He's our Father, and because we have that kind of close, personal, loving relationship with Him, and just just fathom this for a minute. All right, so keep that in mind. 
You remember when Moses would speak with God and he'd come down from the mountain and he'd interact with the people, and what would the people do? They'd ask him to cover his head because he was shining with the glory of God. They're like, block that. We can't even look at that. Block that. We, we, like, this, is, this is too much. So can you imagine the privilege that is ours to be able to enter into God's presence, into His holy presence, with confidence, Scripture even says with boldness, that we could barge right in, right? And those of you that are parents, what do your children do, particularly when they're little? Do they ever knock? They never knock until they get older, right? So I have locks on everything. You can't like change your clothes without somebody barging right in. You're like, what are you doing? Knock. The door's closed, right? It's like, look, I'm your kid. I don't knock. It's like, must put a lock on that door, right? And what does Scripture tell us about our relationship with God the Father? No lock on the door. Just go right in. There's no lock on the door. Just go right in. You're welcome into His presence. He is your Abba, Father. He is your Daddy. You're welcome right in. He wants you to come right in. That's the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us. When we come before Him in prayer, we're entering into His presence. So you picture Moses trying to like cover the glory of God that was shining all around him, and the people are saying, we can't even look at that. And now God the Father is saying to us, no, come right in. Come right into my presence. We come right into His presence through prayer. We'll exist in His presence throughout all eternity. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Meaning, so this is like the idea of us, uh, how, how does this thought impact our prayer life? Don't you think it impacts your relationship with somebody when you know that you are always welcome into their presence? Do you have a few people like that in your life? There are a few people like that in my life that I know that I can do or say anything, just, I, it could be dumb, it could be embarrassing, and I know that their, their love for me is not going to change in the least. Even if, if, if I took my life in a bad direction, they'd love me. If I take my life in a good direction, they'll love me. If I do nothing with my life, they'll still love me. If I do something stupid or something smart, They'll love me. I'm always welcome in their presence. And when you have that kind of relationship with somebody, how do you feel? You feel free to be yourself, don't you? Feel free to talk. You feel free to communicate. You feel free to hang out. You look forward to opportunities to be with people like that. Because most people, when you think about it, your list of people that you have that kind of relationship with most likely is one of the smallest lists that you have. That's a small list for most of us. That's a small list for me. It's a small list for you. We don't have a ton of people in life that we can interact with that kind of way. And God the Father is like, listen, I want you to understand that I love you and that I see you as blameless in my sight. Through Jesus Christ, we're reckoned as righteous in the eyes of God the Father. Holy and blameless in His sight. And He says, when you're in the midst of a time of need, right? So it says, help in time of need. And we're all in the midst of times of need. Sometimes we recognize the need and sometimes we don't. So this is really all the time. But it's like, in particular, when you become very aware of the need that you're in, the Lord says, come to me. Let's talk about this. Come right into my presence. And the way it's described in Scripture is, let us then with confidence draw near to his throne. With confidence, come right in. 
That's the kind of relationship that we're blessed to have with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful gift? Isn't it amazing that Scripture reveals that to us? For centuries, many people really struggled to wrap their minds around that. And people for centuries really struggled to even call God their Father. And when you look at Jesus repeatedly calling God uh, the Father, referring to Him as Father, many people in that generation took offense to that thought. And that was one of the things that Jesus was severely criticized for, and one of the things that the religious leaders of the time held against Him. The idea that He would refer to God the Father as Father. They're like, that is too affectionate of a term for you to just be tossing around like that. You can't refer to Him as Father like that. And Jesus doesn't dial it back. He doesn't walk it back. And when you and I have the opportunity to come before the Father, what does Scripture say? Do so with confidence. He, he not only likes you, He loves you. He wants you into His presence through faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that as we learn to live life eagerly approaching the presence of God, obviously respectfully, but certainly knowing that we're welcomed confidently into His presence, I think that has an impact on how we interact with other people, don't you? When you learn to be a recipient of that kind of love, I think you can also learn to be a giver of that kind of love. And so as we wrap this up, I want us to reflect on an application of this idea. How can we reflect the Father's heart to others? As we interact with others, as we are beneficiaries of Him treating us this way, how can we reflect His heart to others? So again, it's fascinating to summarize or to meditate on you know, the different ways that our Heavenly Father shows His heart to us. And when we look at some of the things that we just looked at, we can see that He's created us, He's rescued us from eternal condemnation, He's instructed us, He's disciplined us, He's comforted us, He's adopted us, He allows us to call Him Daddy. And as He makes this all so, He also enables us to reflect His heart as we interact with one another. Someone once said this about fathers, and they were saying this in the sense of fathers who reflect the heart of God. This is what it looks like when a dad reflects the heart of God. They said, he teaches kindness by being thoughtful and gracious, even at home. He teaches patience by being gentle and understanding over and over. He teaches honesty by keeping his promises to his family, even when it costs he teaches courage by living unafraid with faith in all circumstances. He teaches justice by being fair and dealing equally with everyone. He teaches obedience to God's Word by precept and example as he reads and prays daily with his family. He teaches love for God and his church as he takes his family regularly to worship together. His steps are important because others follow. When you look at these ideas, and we think about this idea of reflecting the heart of God, just as God the Father is lovingly leading us, I believe fathers are given the unique privilege not just to influence behavior, but to guide and shepherd young hearts. And I think one of the most critical ways that if the Lord gives you the opportunity to serve as a father, I think one of the most critical ways that we can show the father's heart in the context of being a father to children is by giving your children your time. 
And I say that because there's a lot of things that we want to give to kids, but I think our time is one of the most important things because if we, and I've been learning this particularly as my kids are now starting to age out. You know, our oldest turns 18 next month. And I'm like, all right, you're aging out. Like you guys are one at a time moving out, right? It's like she moves out in just a few months. I'm like, all right. And that begins a two-year process where every two years, another one flies out. It's like, okay, all right. That pantry is going to stay pretty full soon. Just thinking about it. No, no, I will be sad. But I will be full, but I will be sad. But the truth is you start to realize the time gets away from you really, really quick. And if you're constantly delaying spending time together, the time goes. It's gone. And if you constantly allow everything else to fill up the schedule without setting some boundaries before you know it, the time is gone. But when you actually do carve out time to be together, even if you don't have a specific plan, this is one of the things I've noticed, even if you don't have a specific plan, if you just carve out the time, sometimes in an organic way, it just kind of comes together. And before you know it, you're, you're finding things to talk about, you're finding issues to discuss, you're sharing your influence with that child because you carved out time. It's almost like the other details start to come together when you carve out the time. I find it very interesting to read certain authors and certain psychologists as they speak about the role of fathers and uh, how a dad actually can have an influence on the subconscious impression that a child has toward God the Father because of how they interact. I don't know if you're familiar with H. Norman Wright, but I want to read a couple things that he said about this. He said, Imagine a little girl of seven who has known only rejection and abuse from her father, whom she loves dearly. At Sunday school, she is taught that God is her heavenly father. What is her perception of him going to be? Well, based on her experience with her natural father, she will likely see God as an unstable, rejecting, abusing person she cannot trust until he helps her get over that thought. If your father was like a drill sergeant demanding more and more from you with no expression of satisfaction or burning with anger, with no tolerance for mistakes, you may have cast God in his image. You'll likely feel that God will not accept you unless you meet his demands, which seem unattainable. And this perception may have driven you to become a perfectionist. If your father was a weakling, and you couldn't depend on him to help you or defend you. Your image of God may be that of a weakling. You may feel that you are unworthy of God's comfort and support, or that he is unable to help you. Then he says, if your father was patient, you are more likely to see God as patient and available for you. You feel that you are worth God's time and worth God's concern. You feel important to God and that he's personally involved in every aspect of your life. If your father was kind, you probably see God acting kindly and graciously on your behalf. You feel that you are worth God's help and intervention. You feel God's love for you deeply, and you're convinced that he wants to relate to you personally. If you're in a position, the position of, of, of being a father... And even if you're not, right, this, kind, this applies regardless of, of whether you're a father or not, even though the example I just gave is very specific to speaking about dads. 
But all of us could ultimately reflect the heart of God in every context that we're in. And I think we, we should be giving our kids, we should be giving our spouse, we should be giving our friends, we should be giving even those who think they are our enemies a glimpse of the heart of God the Father by mirroring the kind of intentional love that He actively conveys to us. God the Father loved you enough to send His Son Jesus Christ so that you could be rescued and redeemed through faith in Him. I think that kind of sacrificial mindset should become one of the hallmarks that our lives are known by. As we have come to know God the Father through faith and God the Son, Jesus Christ, we're given the power, we're given the ability, we're given the example and the strength to to reflect His heart to those that He allows us to interact with. And in the end, as we reflect on these things today, isn't it wonderful that regardless of just... I mean, our our life on this earth can be really messy in a lot of respects. But isn't it wonderful that regardless of the context that you grew up in, regardless of the human relationships relationships that you have, regardless of how maybe some people impressed you or other people let you down, that we have a stable, loving, consistent God the Father who doesn't change, who isn't one day going to become erratic or difficult, who looks at us with compassion and says, I care about you enough to orchestrate the opportunity for you to experience salvation, to orchestrate the opportunity for you to be adopted into my family, to give you confidence to enter into my presence and know that I love you sincerely and deeply, and to then give you the power to reflect my heart in every context that I place you in. Isn't it wonderful to think and to know, as the Scripture reveals to us, that that's the kind of God the Father that we have, that He allows us to come to know Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a privilege. And as we think about that on a day like Father's Day, I wanted to look at what Scripture happened to say about these things as a reminder to our hearts of the goodness of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to take a look at a variety of things that You've revealed to us in it. Lord, we recognize that each and every one of us need You. Lord, we're not some group of independent agents that can just go about life in such a way that that we can successfully navigate it if you're an afterthought. Lord, you desire to be on the forefront of our minds. You desire to be on the forefront of our hearts. So Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the work that you have done and the work that you continue to do. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to relate to you, to be able to look at you as as God the Father, our Abba Father, our Daddy, who welcomes us into your presence and delights to give us Your name. Lord, we don't deserve these things, but we're grateful for the reality of them. And so, Lord, we pray that as we interact with others, that by Your grace, that we would reflect Your compassionate and merciful heart. That it would be obvious that we're living as Your children as we go about life on this earth. And Lord, in the midst of the trials, and in the midst of the difficulties, and in the midst of the seasons that 
maybe weigh heavily on us. We pray that we would have the confidence that your word invites us to have to come before your presence in our time of need. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to do that. So, Lord, whatever needs are represented here among us today, we lift those things up before you. And again, we're grateful, Lord, that you're happy to hear us, that you're happy that we reached out, that you're happy that we consider who you are and what you want to do in our lives. Lord, we pray that our lives would be a blessing to you because we know, Lord, that you've certainly operated as a blessing to us. We commit ourselves to you today and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.